Hi, and welcome to the Switch Natural Podcast. My name is Andrea Dar, and on my journey to find non-toxic products, I've met some amazing people. People that are driven by their life experiences to create something new that can help others on their wellness journey. I'm sharing candid conversations so that you can be inspired too. Thanks for taking the time to, when I saw to do this, I saw your calendar. I was like, whoa, yeah, how do you do it? Are you going for speaking engagements or testing or both or? So I was just, um, it it was really cool. Actually. I, I I do speaking engagements, but you know, there's some highlights and, um, like last year I was an invited guest speaker at Stanford university, which was super fun. Um, and this thing I just did in Ohio was I was invited by the city of Columbus, Ohio, to teach a training in how to test consumer goods for toxicants and how to recognize toxic consumer goods that might have an impact on lower levels of blood level in children um, with a persistent low level blood level because the city of Columbus has recently adjusted what they're looking at. And they're looking at these kiddos with a blood level between the range of three and five, which they hadn't previously considered um, based on the new federal regulation. So I have like right now in my desk, I'm surrounded with all these things that I brought with me to Ohio. So I've got, you know, little leaded baby shoes and a little leaded children's hammer. And I've got (laughs) leaded dinosaurs. I'm like surrounded with props. So, so So are you trained? Who are you training? Are there going to be people that do this as part of their job or is Ohio hiring them? Uh, no, no, I was, yeah, I was training the, I was hired by the, the city of Columbus, Ohio department of public health. So I was training the employees for the public health department, which is like, you know, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So I, it was really, um, sorry if I'm I'm like a little bit like, uh, trying to figure out where all my stuff is here. Cause I just, like, like I said, I just got back from taking the kiddos out for a thing. So, um, yeah. And so, so it's fun to, I, I really, this is the first time this was a highlight because this is the first time that I did a training in what I do, um, which is, you know, okay. what I do on the ground, which is the consumer goods testing. Mostly I do more generic speaking engagements where I talk about lead poisoning. I educate about the impacts of low level exposure in children. Hold on, my husband's bringing me food. Um, I, I won't eat this for a while though. Um, and then, um, and never eat food when you have, when you're surrounded by leaded things. Um, cause then you that's know. one of my questions for you. Do you worry about your own exposure? Like I've seen you testing all these things and like, how do you protect yourself? Um, I don't have a huge concern for my exposure. And in mm. fact, I recently reshared my own urine test, which it's funny because p- some people see it like, oh, you tested positive for lead. But then if you listen to the video, um, the audio recording of me talking to the doctor, I actually have some of the lowest lead levels and other metal levels as of anyone in the country because of how I, how fastidious I am. I, I mean, I okay. wash my hands. I, I don't handle a lot of things. The stuff in my office that you see behind me, which is like leaded baby bottles, leaded drinking glasses. These are not leaded. Oh, wait, we'll get that out of the screen. That's not leaded. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I mostly, I don't always have all the stuff in my office. I've just done so many interviews recently. So I brought um, some things from my storage. I have two storage units full of lead contaminated items um, that I've collected over the last 10, 15, 20 years, 18 years. And um, and basically a lot of times I go to a home um, to do a home consultation to help a family whose kid has been poisoned. And they're like, 
you know, I'm like, this is a really unusual thing. Can I have this for my collection? And they say yes, because they don't want it. And then if I have it, then I can actually make use of it. So this year is the first year that we've really, I really made use of a lot of these items because I brought a whole suitcase of these toxic items with me to my presentation in Columbus. And then also I encourage volunteers around the country to do their own events or to work with me on collaborating events. And I have this one volunteer in Fresno, her name's Sarah. And I um, did an event with her in February. We came to her town and we did an outreach event. And then she wanted to follow up by hosting a, um, well, at her library, they have a, a like a window in a display window in the beginning in the front of the library, and so she wanted to put together a a, a plat a, like a, a display of, yeah. of all these toxic items. So she she did all of the work, and I sent her some of my choice toxic items. So I sent her, you know, some of the um, you know McDonald's ca cartoon character glasses, and I sent her some lead painted baby bottles. Gosh, and just seeing these items is impactful. Just seeing them in front of you because you're like, wait, what? This just does not make sense. It's mind blowing. Yeah, I watched your um, I watched your documentary I think last week, and it's hard to believe that this is a, a threat to us still. Like I found you because I was researching uh, per and polyfluoro alkyl substances P PFAs in cookware. Cause I was doing a blog post about cookware and, you know, I knew you didn't want Teflon. And then I, I got routed to your site and I saw this information about lead. I'm like what? Nobody's talking about lead. I thought that lead was a thing from the seventies. We didn't have to worry about it anymore. And here you are with all of this information, thousands of products that have lead that we're exposed to every day. So yeah, I, I guess like why, why is it still used today? Is it a contaminant? Is it purposefully added to all these all these uh, bottles and everything? It's it's really frustrating. So um, there's a few. I'm like I, I don't I'm not usually as distracted because I don't usually have this stuff around me. But for example, like this baby bottle. These baby bottles, May Mom. I don't know if you've heard of them, but mm -hmm. I I hadn't heard of them. They're apparently like one of the choice breast milk storage bottles, and. Um, there is no reason for this to be lead paint and, and it is very high lead paint and they, they they often use lead paint on glassware now if you have the same bottle in plastic it would not be lead paint but and um, people are looking for the glass because they think that glass is better than plastic because it doesn't right. have the bisphenols and it's just like yeah it's, it's, it's mind-blowing and and there are plenty of baby bottles that are glass that don't have lead paint but then, then the, these companies just aren't paying attention. So another one that I have here, and so you, you're getting this treat of show and tell since I have all this around me, uh, is this Jervis and George. You know, ba it's a it's a baby food storage. You can see the logo. The logo is painted in lead paint, and um, they didn't know that it was lead paint. I wrote about them. They said, "Oh my God, we're so sorry. We'll do something about this." They stopped selling the lead painted bottles jars. They closed the company down. They reformulated under a new uh, business name called Elk and Friends. Now they're selling a lead-free version. And I'm pissed as F about the fact that they didn't make um, any acknowledgement for these previously lead-contaminated products and didn't issue a recall. So yes, oh. they, did, they did the right thing in that they started a new company, Didn't their new products don't have paint, their new products are lead-free, but yeah. they didn't issue a recall. So I'm filing a CPSC violation report for this Jervis and George stuff. Which and you know they're passing it along to their friends or whoever. I mean, you, they don't break, they last. So you keep using them. And I, I guess like how, 
how is the lead affecting people if it's on the bottle? So is it because, is it dermal absorption? Is it inhalation? I mean, is it, you have to actually swallow some of the paint or? Well, there is a certain, um, there's, there's a certain amount of, of skin absorption, but it's not significant. Um, or what I always say is it's been downplayed by the feds because there hasn't been enough research into the potential for physiological uh, symptomatic impacts from skin absorption of lead. I, I think, you know, when we're talking about, um, you know, lead gasoline, tetraethyl lead, that's a different situation. There's definitely skin absorption, but I think there's also skin absorption from lead paint, except it's just not being studied sufficiently. However, Thank that's you. not the biggest problem. What we have here is a bottle that has curves designed to be held by a baby. Well, where's the baby putting their hand? right on the lead painted design. And when you're sterilizing these, you're uh, you're boiling them, you're steaming them. Over time, the lead paint is coming off or deteriorating. And it doesn't even have to look like it's deteriorating. If it's deteriorating at microparticulate levels, um, you might not see it at first. But what's wow. that baby do after he puts his hand on the bottle? What does he do with his hand? He shoves his hand in his mouth, yep. right? So right. it's hand to mouth behavior. Uh, and what I'm finding is I don't have right in front of me the wee sprouts, but the wee sprouts baby food jars were very much like this. They had the painted logos. The logos were painted with lead paint. Some of them were, some of them weren't. But I had several parents uh, show me how the paint was coming off. And where was the paint wearing off? It was wearing off into their kitchen environment, into the inside of their sterilizer, into the inside of, you know, the, the where, wherever they were storing and, and cleaning the bottles uh, or the, the baby food jars in this case. So I had a couple of cases of children with a slightly elevated blood level where they lived in new construction homes and didn't seem to have other sources of potential lead exposure. So I was like, oh, well, it seems to me that given the paint is wearing off and given the usage um, it, it could be getting into their into their food supply. Um, it's not like it's isolated from the food supply. If you sterilize the jar and microparticulates of the lead end up inside the jar through the <coughs> excuse me sterilization process, then that's what is being consumed. Then the other thing is like I have um you're young, so you might I don't know how what you have for toys. You have kids? How old are your kids? I do. I have nine year old twin boys. Oh boy. Okay. Well, I don't know if you remember these little guys. Um, you're, yeah, you're too young. yeah, your mom might have had them, right? Um, those look familiar. So, like these little things, wooden toy, little wooden people. Well, like this one has a wooden body, this one has a plastic body. Um, they both have plastic hair, one has a wooden head, one has a plastic head, but you know, they have lead paint, they have lead in the plastic, they have lead paint on the faces, and kids just pop these right in their mouth. And you these know? are being made, these are new products, right? Oh, no, these are vintage, these are these vintage. Are vintage. Are and baby toys still being made with leaded paint and like those bottles that you showed and the food jars like that's legal to put well, it's not paint? legal it's not legal but I'm having a hard time getting them recalled but we have been my business is let's save mama LLC and um it's funny I kind of like push back against the I'm not a blogger I'm a business and I happen to have a blog I'm yes. not an influencer I have a business and there happens to be some influence in what I share but my intention is not yeah. to be an influencer is to educate. And yes. um, what I'm finding is that 
In general, new products manufactured for children after 2011 are safe for kids. There are a few exceptions to that. You know, there are recalls for uh, contaminated products. Again, we're trying we're trying to get a recall pushed through on this and some other things. But if it's a new toy manufactured for children, it's really rare that it has an unsafe level of lead. Well, you know, that's only if you're talking about brand name. It's just a really good reason to buy brand name, buy brick and mortar, don't buy junk on Amazon from unknown vendors. Because like, these are from an Amazon vendor, these little baby shoes, and mm -hmm. these little buttons have really high levels of lead. And what does a baby do with their shoes? I put them in their mouth, right? I mean, they're a risk. So and there's just not enough oversight for them for to be caught, I guess. So it's illegal, but it's just happening anyway. Yes. And, and, and again, it's the difference of buying off brand versus and versus known brands from reputable vendors. I have a really neat example in front of me here, which is, this is probably, this is a knockoff. This is not a real thing. Um, so this is, it says Yeti and Yeti it, has, up, yeah. it says Yeti here and it came with this plastic cup, which also says Yeti. And I don't know if this is legitimate. I'm assuming it's not. It has a whole insert that says Yeti. And this, this is not a Yeti. Um, I don't think it's a Yeti. And it even came with a sticker for Yeti. So I don't know, maybe it is a Yeti, but I'm pretty sure it's a knockoff. That's wow. someone bought through a Chinese vendor like um, Alibaba. I don't know what the different ones are, but, um, and it's painted oh. with lead paint. This is not a Yeti. This is a Yeti knockoff that is painted with lead paint. So where, um, where was that purchased? Like oh, you said, oh, you said one of those. Okay. One Got of those. It. So you, so you have to be careful. So that's a new item that had led another one. And I just, like I said, I just came home from Columbus mm -hmm. and then my luggage got lost. And oh, so um, what a pain. <laughs> it was a beautiful ceramic bowl from Mexico and is no longer. However, it still has on the bottom. Um, it says lead free Mexico. Yeah. And in fact, this bowl, um, which said lead free and was just lovely was over 300,000 parts per million lead. So it's like, you can't, there's certain things you can't trust. You just um, cannot trust. And that, that reminds me of the a ceramic cookware that I, that I was mentioning before that will say it's free of everything. And is it ceramic in general? Would you say avoid ceramic altogether in the kitchen and go for safer materials? Well, stainless steel? here's the thing. All of those cookware items that say that they're ceramic, they're lying. They're not ceramic. They're, they're, they, they, they came up with an industry standard to call this new coating ceramic. And it's total BS. It's not ceramic. I, my mother was a potter. I grew up with pottery. My mother raised us selling her pottery. I know what ceramic is. This is ceramic. This, this is ceramic, right? It's actually the pottery. lead painted Mexican. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's ceramic. I'm sorry. Yeah. I forgot you have a podcast. So I'm not <laughs> okay. So the lead painted Mexican thing is ceramic, where, whereas a lot of these coatings on this cookware, first off, the substrate of this cookware with the ceramic, quote unquote, ceramic coatings is actually um, cast, cast aluminum. So there, so it's a lead contaminated or cadmium contaminated or antimony contaminated or contaminated with all those things, aluminum substrate. And mm -hmm. then they coat it with a coating that they're calling ceramic. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about that is that it's generally a titanium dioxide based coating, which is why it's white or gray or cream colored. That's the titanium dioxide. And the really compounding, interesting, terrifying factor of that is that it's titanium dioxide in the nanoparticulate form that we know is toxic. 
So, well, we know this is toxic. We know it's toxic for food use. We know the European Union has outlawed it for use in food as of this year. And in 2025, they're outlawing titanium dioxide um, in uh, medication uh, use. And basically, if you have a pill, it's a color, right? You know, that's how the pharmacists tell the the colors apart, tell the pills apart. So like, you know, you might have a light blue or a light pink for whatever pill you have. My thyroid pills are kind of a light blue gray. And the way they make those colorants is titanium dioxide. Well, even that small amount is considered illegal in Europe because there's no, they have no low threshold of acceptable level for titanium dioxide in ingestibles. So they're not going to allow any nanoparticulate titanium dioxide in medication, even if it's just a pill you take once a day. Yet we're still allowing it in our cookware as a main coating on cookware that's considered disposable. Like, oh, you're going to want to upgrade after five years because the coating is going to be scratched. Well, where is that scratched coating material going? It's going into your food. So, you know, that's not to mention what's underneath what's underneath the coating. Yeah. 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 I have a both. Both are problems. I mean, um, you know, the the, the terrible brands um, are the caraway cookware, the always pan, the green pan. You know, they're all selling this myth of environmental sustainability when, in fact, they're creating a disposable uh, product that has planned ab- obsolescence built into the product. Like, I mean, I don't know, again, you're very young. So I don't know if you remember, but I remember when, so I'm 50, I'm going to be 54. So when, when I was young, my mom bought a washer dryer for our house. Like when we bought the house, when I was a baby. Well, when we moved 20 years later, that washer dryer was still working. Yes. And now that yes. you got planned obsolescence with appliances and with everything where, you know, you buy a washer dryer and it says, oh, expected life, you know, five to 10 years. And you're lucky if you get 10 years. But they, they don't, don't last five anymore. I mean, it's like yeah. five and you have to buy a new one. And most of them at least. And the, it's the same thing with the pots and pans. And that's not only bad for you based on what's in the pan and what you might be ingesting, but also bad for you for the planet because, you know, it's causing, you know, the consumption and waste. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much waste. Yeah. That that, I think it's such an important point. And especially on Instagram, those caraway and the always and the green pan, it's just flooding with the advertising. And I get, I get those questions all the time. And I'm always sending people to your site because nine times out of 10, you have already tested that product. And so it's super helpful what you're doing. Thank you. And the thing is, um, I really appreciate that. The thing is I've, I've tested the product or I've tested something from that brand. And that's what people aren't doing. A lot of times they're not extrapolating, like they should extrapolate. They should say, oh, well, if this thing from Caraway is bad, then probably everything is, especially if it's a new product. And I think, you know, uh, people are ho- hoping, oh, well, she only tested this one. So maybe this one's okay by the same brand. And, and I would say, Aaron, er- er- no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And while we're talking about, while we're on this kitchen topic, do you want to talk about what you do recommend in terms of material? So no, cer- no ceramic or nonstick or any of that. Yeah. I mean, if you have a ceramic casserole dish that your mother made for you and you know that your mother made it with lead-free glazes, go for it. That's probably fine. But if you have a mass manufactured product that says it's ceramic, forget about it. Um, I I think that, um, again, I'm looking around here to see if I have any good ones right handy, but um, in general, um, I, here's some things. Okay. Avoid anything with cast aluminum. Now, those who aren't seeing this visually, this is a cast aluminum lemon juicer. 
um, that is from Patron Tequila and it's very high in lead. Cast it's aluminum. like those ones that rub off on your hand. Is that what that is? You know, it's like- Like the KitchenAid beater uh, blade that has the burnished, burnished surface, where if you made cookies with this beater blade, you would end up having gray streaks in your batter. That has uh, lead contamination. And here's one more example of that. This is an ice cream scoop made of the same material. So avoid yeah. cast aluminum in general. And okay. that includes um, avoiding cast aluminum pots and pans with titanium dioxide coating. So that's one thing. Got it. Yep. Know what pans are made of. And so then the other thing I avoid is silicone. Now this is on my website. This is a silicone um, spatula made by KitchenAid. This particular silicone spatula is very high in lead in the silicone, which is outrageous. Okay. Um, it's a banana yellow one. And I've also tested these from other brands that have silicone. So I say avoid silicone. And now the main concern with silicone is not lead, it's trace cadmium contamination. Almost okay. all silicone, like the silicone can have, uh, be like medical grade, you know, platinum certification or platinum silicone, which is mean they use platinum as a part of the extraction, you know, just all these buzzwords that are like sounding good. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, in the end, silicone is plastic. It's just another kind of plastic. And mm -hmm. the, the, the level of cadmium typically found in most silicone products is low. Cadmium is a known carcinogen. The hazard levels for cadmium range from 40 parts per million cadmium to the babies are getting it from all angles, silicone plates, silicone nipples, silicone pacifiers, silicone cups, you know, silicone bibs. And it's just like, it's so pervasive and, and, and being used everywhere uh, for so many different functions in a baby's life, even though it's trace levels of cadmium, and even though it's considered safe by all standards, I have mm -hmm. concerns. I have concerns about long-term health implications that haven't been, you know, identified yet from persistent use of trace cadmium contaminated silicone products that you're using every day in your home. Because my generation, we didn't have any of that stuff. You know, we, we, yeah. had, lead, we had lead of gasoline, we had lead paint, but we didn't have any of the silicone. And so the, so for an alternative for the silicone products is a uh, natural rubber. If you're going to, if you really need something uh, like a, for, for a nipple, uh, for a baby bottle or, or a pacifier, natural rubber is the, the better option. Um, yeah. You cut out just for a minute when you were talking about the silicone, but the, I think that you said that the concern is the cadmium, not the lead in the silicone. Is that right? Yeah, in general. Okay. I mean, in, general, in, this, yeah. in this in this item, the concern is obviously the lead. But in, in most uh, silicone items, the concern is the cadmium, even though it's at a safe level. So then alternate, uh, otherwise, um, so avoid silicone, avoid cast aluminum, focus on clear, unpainted, undecorated glass, newer glasses better, uh, some older glass items like older glass Pyrex casseroles. And I don't have a cutoff year, but it's probably anything like 40, 50, 60 years old. So if you've got something that's 20 or 30 years old, it's probably fine. But some of the older clear glass has high levels of arsenic. So so newer clear glass is a great option. You know, um, first, let's pretend you're registering for your wedding, you know, like things that you would buy new, new clear glass, um, a new or cast iron or heritage cast iron that you, you know, inherited from a family member. But new cast iron that does not have any enamel coatings. The enamel coatings tend to be high in lead, cadmium, and or antimony. Antimony was added to the list of known carcinogens in 2021. So um, avoid avoid enamel coatings on cookware, on dishes, on anything. And then yeah. stainless steel. Now, stainless steel, there's a caveat with that. <laughs> um, and the caveat is 
If you can get low nickel stainless steel, you probably should if that's an option. Um, IKEA has inexpensive low nickel stainless steel. Stainless steel that is marketed and sold as nickel free is generally not nickel free. It's low nickel. They have a maximum, this is again, a bogus industry standard, just like the language saying, oh, well, this is a ceramic coated pan. Well, you made up a new definition for ceramic. It's not mm. really ceramic. Well, nickel-free stainless steel is not really nickel-free. It's up to 25 parts per million, 25,000, sorry, 25,000 parts per million nickel. So nickel-free stainless steel is usually 700, 1,000, 1,500 parts per million nickel, but it's better than the high nickel stainless steel. Standard stainless steel, 304 stainless steel, tends to be 80,000 parts per million nickel. And there have been studies about leaching concerns with acidic, heavy use, long form cooking. So what that means is if you have a stainless steel pot that is high nickel and you're cooking tomato sauce, doing a reduction for eight hours, there's a potential for that to leach nickel into your food. So what I recommend, first and foremost, my recommendation that is not good for a lot of people, but don't do the long form cooking. Forget about it. You know, what do we, okay. you know, our, 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 you know, native ancestors from wherever we were from 10,000 years ago, we're not reducing tomatoes for 10 hours at a time. Um, <laughs> fire going for, yeah, <laughs> right. You know, you don't, you don't do that. So, um, that's a new modern, uh, problem that people do these tomato sauces and long form reductions and soups and stews where, where it's cooking for a long time and can leach, uh, from the pan. Second, um, you know, so eat fresh, raw, whole, low, you know, cook, cook for a short amount of time, stir yep. fries and, you know, sautés and, you know, 20, 30 minutes, no problem. The other consideration there is stick with the, the, um, stick with the stainless steel that you already own because it's more likely to have already leached. And so what they showed, oh, in that's this, a great tip. Yeah. Yes. I mean, don't, don't buy new. If you've got, if you've got a good brand that, you know, doesn't have lead paint or leaded components because it doesn't have like a painted lid. It doesn't have enamel. Um, using, you know, older stainless steel is actually, um, better because it's not going to be leaching anymore, or it's going to be leaching less. Yeah, uh, that's great. I and one of the tips that I love that you talk about is mixing it up. Like yeah. I actually bought um, the Stargazer cast iron that you recommended, and I've like really enjoyed cooking with it. And I alternate that with the stainless steel; it makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Mix it up. I'll do all those three things. You know, use the glass as much as you can, and then alternate the stainless steel and the cast iron, whatever whatever's convenient for you. And don't do long form cooking if you can avoid it. Um, and if you're going to do long form cooking, do it in your grandmother's stock pot that you know is made of stainless steel, not aluminum. Um, because, and then then a, then a final little trick. So the study I just and this is on my website. There's um, which is leadsafemama.com or tamarubin.com. It, it in uh, in, in my article about stainless steel, I, I've linked some of the studies and the studies show that the first three rounds of long form cooking, like eight to 10 hours of simmering really high acidic tomato uh, will leach the most. And then after that, they are significantly reduced. There are significantly reduced leaching levels for the nickel and chromium and other toxicants that are found in stainless steel. So one thing you can do if you do get a new set of stainless steel um, pots and pans, uh, fill, fill it with tomato sauce, cook it for eight hours, dump it down the toilet and do that again, three or four times, five times, six times. And you have leached most of the nickel 
um, that is leachable out of the pans in those first uh, rounds. And, and that'll just be a little bit healthier than using your pan right out of the box to cook something. Yeah, that's great. And I know that you're using this machine and you're testing all these items, but is, is this the same machine test for all the different metals? Is that how you're understanding all of the different components like antimony and cadmium and not yes. only test for lead? Right. I, I have a different machine. So my instrument, it's a X-ray fluorescent spectrometer is specifically designed for testing uh, consumer goods for lead and other toxicants. It's the same instrumentation that for the last couple of decades has been used by the Consumer Product Safety Commission, Commission to test for toxicants. It's not the paint one that the uh, the home inspectors use to test for lead in paint. It's a different instrument. So if you go online, it's like, oh, I'm going to buy one of these. And you find one for like $7,000 or $10,000 or even $15,000. That's probably a paint grade instrument that only tests for lead and only tests for lead in paint and is actually a radioactive source instrument that it can't be used for testing consumer goods. Now, my instrument is a non-radioactive source tube-based instrument that's safe to use in the field around people and does and, and tests for all of the metals that I report on. So lead, mercury, cadmium, arsenic. It can even tell me how much gold is in something, how much silver is in something. And um, it's a different instrument. And and new, when these were manufactured, they, they cost about 35,000 new with all those. You can get one for like 25 to 28,000 if you can find when used. I was, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very lucky person. I mean, outside of the fact that my kids have lifelong impacts from being lead poisoned and permanent disabilities, you know, to set that aside, I feel very fortunate in that um, someone could donated two instruments to me. Each of the instruments needed to be refurbished and that refurbishment alone cost uh, $7,000 per instrument. So um, and then additional costs. So it actually worked out to about $9,000. So it, it's it's not cheap to have these instruments. Plus you have to have them registered with the state and you have to know how to use them. And you have to also know when you're getting a bad reading, which is something that takes experience. So I have a lot of families um, who will rent an instrument. They'll rent the right instrument, but they won't take the training. They won't be certified. They won't have it registered with the state. They won't have any experience. And then they'll call me in a panic. Like I'm getting positives. What does this reading mean? I don't understand. I'm like, it's You're it, not using it right. <laughs> yeah, it is a point and shoot thing. But the fact that I've been doing this now since 2009, you know, I have 14, almost 15 years of experience with the instrumentation. I know when something's a misread or I know when I know how to read the margin of error. Or I know when placement of the test isn't in the ideal place to determine if something is like contaminated or not like yeah. um, a, a popular thing that other the people have tested because of my work primarily is they have their dishes tested so if they go to have their dishes tested by someone who doesn't know what they're doing um they might test the center of the food surface of the dish but they won't test the edge where the decorative elements are and it's the decorative elements that are positive and then the, so so you know they might the inspector might say oh your dish is negative when in fact it's really high positive like the vintage corel on the edges and then i get the funny the funny comments i don't know who who gives me these comments i think it's mostly older women who are really really attached to their historic corral, um, but, and, and haven't quite come awakened to the fact that lead is toxic at very low levels. They're like, well, if I put my food and on the plate and then keep it away from the edges, that's fine. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. You do that. I want right. to see you do that <laughs> in <laughs> practice. Yeah. And, and it's not even that because if you have a high use, I'm just looking around. Cause I know I have one here. One second. I don't know. My, my office is a mess because of, of traveling. 
But if you if you have one of those where you do have lead around the edge and um, and the center is lead free, the problem is after many many years of use um, and regular washing and microwaving, because a lot of them say microwave safe on the bottom, you have migration of the lead dust and it's invisible to the center of the dish. So it doesn't matter that 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 the center of the dish is not painted; it still can right. have unsafe right. lead on it. And I'm curious, how would you know if you were lead poisoned? Are there people that are lead poisoned that don't know it, that are not exhibiting symptoms? And so you want to take a sort of preventative approach with this so you can remove it from your environment? Yes. Or, or would you know if like your child was lead poisoned? No, the, the most common symptom of lead poisoning is no symptoms at all. Okay. Okay. The immediate impact, the moment of lead poisoning you aren't necessarily going to have symptoms, especially if you have a chronic low-level persistent exposure. My children were acutely poisoned, so they got very, very sick right away, but most people are not acutely poisoned. So it's really rare to have an acute poisoning that's non-industrial. I mean, you know, people who work in battery factories might be acutely poisoned, but but children are rarely acutely poisoned. So so oh, okay. you, my, my children had nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, headaches, like all the stuff that might be associated with the flu, but without a fever. But most kiddos don't have symptoms and have persistent low-level exposure from their home or, you know, chewing on a lead-contaminated toy over most of their childhood, well, you know, their formative toddler years, whatever. And then, and then the symptoms aren't manifested until the, the neurological development phase that requires, you know, frontal lobe uh, activity um, and reasoning and um, impulse control. And so you're seeing these symptoms come up when the kid is three, four, five, six years old, later um, when they start going to school. And then and then in cognitive retention of, of um of, of intellectual information, like learning to read and not being able to uh, retain things that they learn, you know, 10 minutes later, an hour later, two hours later, um, long-term memory and short-term memory issues, yeah, um, right. depending on the age of exposure for the child. So that's why prevention is key. The other thing that's really important, and I'm just assuming, uh, looking at you, a lovely young lady, that many of your readers and listeners and watchers and followers are probably similar to you, yes? Yeah. Um, or demographically. So one of the primary impacts is fertility um, and infertility and uh, co birth complications and low birth weight in newborns and, you know, just, just a host of uh, complications related to fertility. And those are at low levels of exposure that is the the average blood level of an American woman today. And so wow. right now, a child is not considered poisoned by most, most health departments until they pass a blood level of 3.5. Now that's arbitrary. We have def definitely documented negative health impacts at levels as low as a blood level one or a blood level two. So we know a child is poisoned even with a blood level one or two. When someone says, oh, my child wasn't poisoned, they just tested slightly elevated. I'm like, nope recontextualize better language your child's poisoned if they tested positive for lead period you know and and the, and and people in the lead poisoning prevention community are like oh well that's alarmist i'm like yeah it needs to 
be alarmist because you need to know that it's not natural for a child to have a blood level of one or two, that blood levels in that range are associated with increased risk of ADHD. And now a long-term low level persistent blood levels are in, are have been strongly and clearly associated through research from Harvard and other major institutions with um, early heart disease and heart attack, death by heart attack, early onset Alzheimer. Uh, uh, early onset Alzheimer's has been shown to be clearly causally linked to blood levels as low as two and likely lower. And so, so when you're talking about low levels of exposure and whether or not that's a problem, they are, and you want to prevent it as much as possible. But then when you look at um, women of childbearing age in the United States today, the average population level, and I don't know how much you guys wanted a science class here. <laughs> Sorry. No, this is so, so interesting. And I thank you for sharing all of it. It, it helps. I don't know. I think it helps to know this. Yeah. So, so the average population level as determined by the research of Dr. Felicia Rubito out of Tulane on a study published in 2012 of, of adult women of childbearing age is 0 0.43. So 0 0.43, that's less than 0 0.5, less than half of a one microgram of lead per deciliter of uh, blood is very low and was previously considered to be non-causally linked to any impacts. But what she studied, she did the research that showed that this level of 0.43 is actually directly linked to um, these birth implications and fertility issues. And then if you wanna go back a little further in history, um, they studied pre-industrial revolution humans, and it was determined that the pre-industrial revolution, so like before the mid 1800s, level of lead in blood was 0.016. So, there, that's mm. not the natural level, but that's pre-industrial right. revolution before we had all these consumer it's goods. It's a good data point. It's a good data yeah. point, right? Yeah. And so that number um, would be that then a blood level of 1.6, which is considered safe uh, by many doctors and should not be, is over 100 times the pre-industrial revolution natural level in humans. And then my child, my son, Avi, who was acutely poisoned, had a blood level of 16. So that's a thousand times this pre-industrial revolution level. And he has a permanent brain injury with a visual memory in the fourth percentile. So, so what we've seen over time is the ability for science to detect lower and lower levels in blood and for us to then determine correlative and causal, causal relationships with these lower levels to specific health impairments. And, and we really are um, solid about that science. There's no question. And that's why now the public stance um, and the public statements from the CDC and the EPA are there are that, 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 that there's no safe level of lead exposure for a child. And, and really there's no safe level of lead exposure for a human. And so and I that's do- That's what I was gonna ask. There is a risk for adults too. It's, yes. uh, it just, it maybe it manifests in a different way since we're, Adults are fully de developed their brain. Yeah. And well, if you were born after uh, 1996, um, it's very likely that you have a very low level of lead in your blood because gasoline, lead gasoline was not fully outlawed, but primarily outlawed by 1996. If you were born before that, you have persistent uh low level lead exposure from your childhood, from lead gasoline, from you know elevated air levels, especially if you lived in an urban environment. If you are considering getting pregnant, I always encourage uh, women to get tested and men too. If you're having fertility issues, you want to 
make sure you call the lab in advance, find out what the low threshold of detection is. And the problem is that a lot of the labs have a low threshold of detection that's too high. Like they say, oh, you're negative. You're less than two micrograms yeah. per deciliter. You're less than three, you're less than 3.3. And so you need to find the most accurate lab. I understand LabCorp in some areas does really accurate lab testing. You can find out, are you a 0.4? Are you a 0.5? And you know, if you are having fertility complications, you might test positive for a level that is generally considered negative, but is over 0.43 and therefore definitely correlated with um, birth uh, um, outcomes and fertility. And yeah. what you can do about it <laughs> so is um, now the main thing is that there's a lot of uh, potions out there that are total BS. Um, uh, basically, people are making money off of people's concern for lead exposure by selling supplements or detox protocols that actually are lead contaminated. So um, yeah, Whoa. it's a, it's a rabbit hole. It's a big rabbit hole. <laughs> it's a and, rabbit. And, and I have about 4,000 posts and articles on my website that go into basically every aspect of this. But so there's, people are taking de um, people are taking bentonite clay to detox. And in fact, bentonite clay is lead contaminated. And there's a myth in the detox community that the lead in bentonite clay is not bioavailable, when in fact, it's purely a myth. It is bioavailable. And the scientific studies show that it's bioavailable, but people are referring in the detox community to scientific studies that are uh, talk about decontaminating sewage using bentonite clay as a filtration. So if you have sewer water and you're running it through bentonite clay, it'll be lower lead when it comes out the other side, but that's not anything to do with the human body. And so right. there's this right. mismatch of people not understanding the science. So bentonite clay is, is, is used as a detox and should not be. Uh, zeolite is often lead contaminated and should not be used as a detox. Modified citrus pectin is often used as a detox and is often contaminated with lead. Cilantro and chlorella also, by the nature of the item, the, these, these things, they bind to lead in the environment, but that doesn't mean that once you ingest them, that stays bound. It actually can elevate the lead level in your blood. So, yeah. so the best thing that there's, there's a good, there's a, there's a, there's a happy answer to all of this. That's an easy answer. And the best, um, scientifically pro proven, uh, detox protocol is garlic. Um, it, yeah. garlic has been studied in multiple countries, I believe Korea, Vietnam, Japan, the United States to see if it works as a detox protocol for heavy metals. And in fact, it does. And I recently read some studies where they showed that they are now using garlic to supplement the medical chelation protocols in hospitals for acutely lead poisoned children. So garlic is that good. Your grandmother was right. You know, yeah, that's that's really, really interesting and good to know. And something that well, two things. One thing that I was thinking as you were talking, the CDC and the EPA say that there's no safe level of lead exposure, but isn't there legally allowable limits of lead in products? Yeah. 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 It's a it's a it's a conflict, it's an industry influenced uh paradigm where the allowable amount of lead is 90 parts per million in consumer goods intended for use by children. 
uh, dishware is not regulated at all and can have any total lead content that they want to, as long as it's non-leaching at the time of manufacture. So um, the problem is that the, the dishware is, is um, when it's brand new, it passes the FDA regs. So this is a question like this comes up in relation to the caraway cookware. Um, where they're like, oh, we passed all our, you know, regs for FDA compliance. I'm like, great. That's only when you have new condition, condition cookware. The minute is no longer a new condition or with a dish, um, like for example, okay, this is a good one. I think this, this little Christmas mug is about, and, and this is a Spode Christmas mug, um, is about probably, I'm guessing maybe between 30,000 and 50,000 parts per million lead. It's older. You know, I don't know how old it is. Maybe it's 30 years old. There were regs for leachability of lead at the time. When this was new, it probably passed the regs for leachability. But now that it's been used yeah. for several decades with acidic beverages like coffee or tea, um, it, it, it could be leaching, even though it passed and met right federal standards at the time of, of manufacture. And, and they and can make these without lead, right? It's not a necessary component of the materials. Is that correct? Like yeah. You so, yeah. Definitely. So this is like the Spode Christmas tree design and the older ones, 20 plus years old, have high levels of lead, but the new ones that look almost the same are lead free. But the companies aren't doing recalls on the vintage products. And that's really annoying. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a big problem. And so it's almost like there's these loopholes, it seems, or is lead cheap? Is that why they're using it? They're um, well, to... <laughs> this is the interesting thing. Again, using this this Christmas mug, the Spode Christmas mug. On this one, which if you're in your podcast, um, you won't see it, but if you're on a video, you can see it. It's mm -hmm. shiny, right? Mm -hmm. So the shininess on the surface coating is usually the lead. It's like leaded crystal. They melted an outer coating and an inner coating with lead to help make it shiny and sparkly. It's just purely decorative. Oh, yeah. There's no, there's no reason for the lead now. On some of these things, um, like if I show you again, the vintage Fisher Price. Oh, here's a good one. This is, I think from, this might be from the eighties. Um, this is a-, a, a Oh a yeah, those little thermometers that the kids would play with, pretend play doctor. So so this particular object, um, the reason there's lead is because they're using yellow lead to uh, as, as the colorant. So yeah. with some products, it's the colorant. And okay. other products, it's because they want they want the paint to adhere to glass, like this one. Um, and this is a McDonald's hamburger glass from 1977. And in some products, like this one, this is a dinosaur. I think it's from 1998 or something. Uh, these dinosaurs. Now, if you have any of these vintage dinosaurs toys, they're rubberized. They're bendy. They're 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 like they're almost you know they could be described as chewy. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, chewy yeah. For a child, the child might want to chew them. Now the the lead was used uh, in the fabrication process in order to give them this kind of flexibility and chewy, uh, rubbery uh, feel. So that that's that's why there's lead in that. So there's different reasons why there's lead. Yeah, and, it just and, makes you wonder why do they not just. Get, uh, ban it completely. 
Yes, yes. Okay. And we say that in my film, you know, thou shalt not use lead in any product, you know, that that's what should happen. But the lead industry is one of the most powerful industries in the world. They report record profits every year, every year, even during the pandemic, the lead industry reports record profits. So there's too much for them to lose for lead to be banned. And <laughs> the issue is that lead is in our car batteries. That's one of the, it's in our solar okay. panels. It's used in applications where there are alternatives, but lead is the cheapest, best, most easily available option. And until we stop demanding these lead contaminated products, until we stop having this incredibly powerful industry that wants to protect its bottom line, we're gonna see lead in products and we're not gonna see recalls for these products. Like the thing is- the They don't wanna bring attention to it, right? They don't want, they don't wanna admit or show that they were wrong. Yeah. yeah. And 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 part of the problem, for example, with with these dinosaurs is, is everyone has these dinosaurs from their childhood or their parents' childhood. And they are going to be around forever. Like this is a non-biodegradable item. This dinosaur is going to be around forever. And yeah, yeah. it's from 1998 or I, I, again, I'm not exactly sure this particular dinosaur. I've got it on my website, but the comp we have to demand that the companies are responsible for these legacy products that are gonna be around forever. Because until the companies who manufacture the products take responsibility for these durable goods that are not going to go away, we're gonna have people reusing and handing them down and passing them on to their children. And this puppy- yeah, and possibly I think they're doing the safer, better thing, right? Right, right. And um, the issue that I was gonna say with this particular doll, I believe it was at, at a, in a preschool where a family had donated a bunch of toys for their child's preschool um, from their childhood or whatever. And so we have schools, preschools, Montessori schools, Waller schools using these toys that are not compliant with current federal standards and have unsafe levels of lead. I believe this guy has like 4,000 parts per million lead in the surface coating. Wow. wow. It's pretty, pretty nuts. And then the the thing is about the, um, go back to the Fisher-Price little people. Mm -hmm. The nice thing is there's a Fisher-Price vintage museum um, account on Instagram and on their account, they say the people are like, Oh, I love these. I saved them for my grandchildren, whatever people comment. And the Fisher price museum people respond. We're so happy that you enjoyed them as as a child. However, these should not be used by children because they are not safe by modern standards. And it's like, it's that simple. It's that simple of a response that needs right. to happen for all these companies. Right. Right. That's the right thing to do. And it's like at the, I wrote this down at the end of your uh, documentary, I think it's one of the experts, maybe even you said, we've allowed industry to dictate public health. And yeah. I feel like I see this in other areas. I mean, it's definitely done in the food industry. It's yeah. done in like the products that we're using. And it's certainly frustrating. And I so appreciate and respect how you, you've dedicated your life to this cause. And I, I think we'd be, I want to touch on lead paint. I know we've, we've focused a lot on products, but that was the whole reason that you got started was because your kids were poisoned from the paint. Do you yes. feel that the paint is still a threat today? I mean, there's so many questions I could ask you about the paint, but um, you want to talk about that some? Yeah. And it so the risk of poisoning is not mostly from consumer goods. While we're getting down to these lower level exposures, yeah, there is, and, and we're finding cases of children being poisoned in new construction homes. So obviously they have a non-paint related exposure. This is happening more and more now okay. that the federal thresholds have been lowered. However, the majority of lead poisoning is from paint in older homes. And then the majority of that lead poisoning is from original 
lead painted wood windows in historic homes, opening and closing, and the dust created in a home from the opening and closing of those old historic windows. And in, in my case, my kids were acutely lead poisoned when we hired a contractor to repaint the exterior of our historic home that was built between 1914 and 1917. And the interesting thing is, we were trying to restore the architectural integrity of the home, you know, this is cool. And so we took off the aluminum siding. We didn't know at the time that the aluminum siding had been put on probably in the 60s, maybe in the 70s, in order to contain the lead paint that was unsafe. Like that was what they did to, to protect the residents of the home. And wow. we thought we were doing a good thing to remove the aluminum siding and re restore the original siding and repaint the home. But really, we we didn't know that that, that was going to expose our family. But the trick was too, we hired a contractor who told us he was certified in lead safe work practices. He told us that he knew what to do, that we could stay in the home because we were only working on the outside of the home. But instead he lied and he used an open flame torch to burn the paint off the home. And when he did that, the fumes permeated in my home and my baby was seven months old and was acutely poisoned as a result. So yeah, lead paint on homes is the big problem. And then the other piece of that is something we experienced this week for my family. We don't get along with our neighbors. Uh, we, we've been in the same house for almost 18 years. We don't get along with our neighbors because um, they don't understand this issue. So uh, when, Char when I was playing with Charlie, so 15 years ago, my neighbors repainted their house. Well, they weren't following the law. They weren't using lead safe work practices. So we reported them to the state because we were afraid that the contamination from their home was going to come onto our yard, you know, which I and think so that is such an important point that you made in the documentary. I just don't want to forget that yeah. someone that you were talking to where their child was poisoned because their neighbor was renovating and the particulates got into the sandbox from the yeah. wind. Like yeah. it's a, I mean, it's crazy. Well, and, and this isn't, we're in Portland, Oregon, the houses in most of the neighborhoods are like 15 to 20 feet apart, sometimes even closer. You know, if you're in San Francisco, sometimes houses are a foot apart, you know, five feet apart. So when your houses are this close to each other, you have the potential to contaminate your neighbor's yard with a renovation job if it's not done safely. So anyway, so the neighbors got pissed at us, even though we didn't report them, we reported their contractor for not doing safe work practices. And the state came in and dealt with it. And that was 15 years ago. Now, fast forward to this past week, the neighbor was repainting his house again, and they weren't using lead safe work practices. They were doing pressure washing and scraping with no containment. And my husband's like, ah, what should I do? And I was out of town. So he grabbed the kids and took them off to the beach. And luckily we had just enough money on a credit card that we could pay for a couple nights in a hotel. Well, you know, the kids would, so we wouldn't be here. So the kids wouldn't be here. But the issue is that people assume that because their house was repainted once before, that it's now lead safe. And that is not the case. The, the the reason lead paint was so effective in preserving wood homes is that the lead was mixed with linseed oil and then applied to wood and the wood had a porosity which absorbed the the lead and the and the and and like basically the linseed oil was a carrier so the lead is basically being impregnated into the wood so no matter how many times you oh. repaint your historic home you're still going to have unsafe levels of lead in the wood substrate and microparticulate lead from the paint that was left behind when you previously sanded or stripped or scraped or power pressure washed or did all these other things that are now illegal so so even if you have already repainted your home there's still a risk to um, anybody when the home is again repainted in the future. Doing it once, it doesn't mean the, the, the issue's gone, except 
if you reside the home, if you remove the original siding and put new siding on, or if you put new siding on top of the original siding, like with our old home, when they put the aluminum siding on. I and see. yeah. Yeah. Why so the home contractor is not complying or they're just not in the penalties or they're not getting reported. There's just not enough people like you reporting them or. Yeah. I mean, I have a video that's part of the film on my, on my website that shows how to report a violation. It's a quick little video. And I encourage people to do, to follow the steps there. Unfortunately, there aren't enough compliance agents, like people who work for the different agencies to follow through on every complaint. And in the state of Oregon, we have a crazy system where the agency that has been tasked with enforcing the violations is the contractor board. And the contractor board is a membership agency for the contractors. So basically it's like the fox watching the hen house. And what the contractor board has done is they've made a back-end deal that even though the federal fine is $37,500 per incident per day for a violation, they worked with the state of Oregon to get the fine reduced to $5,000 per incident per day, which would still be bad if like you had multiple incidents on a day, like you pressure wash without containment, like your neighbor, you scrape, you dry, you know, you dry scrape without containment, like your neighbor, you, you know, you didn't put any tarps down. So they could have been fined $15,000 last week, at least. And then it was across multiple days. So that would have been $45,000 at $5,000 a pop. However, here in Oregon, uh, the contractor board has a has a back end deal with the contractors saying we're only going to fine you a thousand bucks if you have a violation and the contractor's like okay I'll just add a thousand bucks into every job just in case I get fined so they pad their jobs by a thousand and that way they get they can cover the cost of the fines when they come up it's just cost of doing business and is it that difficult to do is it a huge undertaking to practice lead safe you know um, renovations or it, you know it's it's not difficult to follow the law, um, you know, tarping 10 feet out for every story and not using an open flame torch and not dry scraping and not, you know, making sure you have full containment and making sure the home is sealed off from the inside, things like that. It's not difficult. However, I will say, and my husband and I said this a million times, that we're talking about microscopic amounts of lead. So it's nearly impossible to actually achieve legitimate full containment. And that's why when someone's going to be working on a pre-1978 home, I always recommend moving out of the home, moving all your things out of the home or doing the work before you move in. And then prior to moving in, instead of just saying, okay, the job's done now, you have to have the home thoroughly clean top to bottom using a wet wipe method with surfactants. And I recommend Clorox wipes because they're readily available, even though they're toxic for other reasons. They clean up lead dust really well. And then you need to do clearance testing, which is a scientific testing where you take samples and send them to a lab to confirm that your home is safe before you move back in. Now, a lot of people will have the work done think they have it done lead safe, but then not do clearance testing. And then they move back into the home after having moved everything out. And then their kids are poisoned. I work with so wow. many families to have that happen. Yeah. Wow. So, Cause the dust, the part particles remain in the air and they are on the walls. And then you touch the walls or the windowsills or anything. And yeah. what thing I thought was really interesting too, is even if there is a full tear down of the home, it still could be dangerous. I'm assuming that's for the neighbors or is that for even when a new house goes up? Well, the main concern with a teardown is, is, is contamination of the soil. Oh, um, okay. 
And, and a lot of times if you tear down a house, you're not tearing down everything. You're like leaving the foundation or here in Portland. And I think in other areas, you know, they consider it not, they, you don't have to get full tear down permits if you leave the foundation in the chimney. So they, or you leave the foundation in one wall. So they leave one wall and they don't do a full turnover of the soil before rebuilding. And then you end up with uh, contaminated soil that can poison children in the future. Also, uh, they've done some informal studies, I believe, in, in the city of Washington, D.C., where with the demolition, they tracked how far the dust uh, from the demolition went. And it, and they I believe it was about three blocks, possibly farther. So, you know, if you're talking about, OK, they're they're tearing down a house without containment. There's no law requiring there's no federal law requiring that a teardown needs to have the toxics contained, at least not the lead. Um, there are laws that require you have to yeah. remove asbestos from the property. But the other thing besides the tearing down is you have controlled burns by the fire department where the firefighters are learning how to deal with a fire in an old house. Well, they'll take an old house that they know is going to be torn, torn down and they burn it. So the firefighters go in and put the house out. Well, that's contaminating the whole neighborhood. So wow, the whole neighborhood because from yeah. the fumes. Yeah. Wow. And you know what? Another thing that really stuck out to me is you were uh, helping someone in their home, I think in New Orleans actually, and their deck was not, was newly painted. So you wouldn't have thought to test it, or I I, mean, I wouldn't have thought to test it, but you did. Yeah. And it, it was because it was non-residential paint. So lead is allowed still in paint. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. And also outside of the United States, it's commonly found in paint, like in Africa, uh, South America, Latin America. I mean, really? Um, so, you know, I, I, well, in the United States, all new paint that is used on a home should be lead free. If you live next to a marine environment and you ask, you know, where they might be painting boats or, you know, they have the extra, you know, the, the paint that's meant to be painted on metal to prevent rusting. A lot of times those can be high lead paints. I, I don't know. I mean, I filmed most of the film uh, in 2011 and 12 and through 2016. Mm -hmm. I haven't specifically seen progress in the elimination of non-residential leaded paints. However, I'm hoping <laughs> that there's fewer opportunities to get your hands on fresh lead paint, although it's still possible. I mean, like a couple of years ago, I found on Amazon, you could buy lead art paint. You could buy, you know, you can still buy lead paint to paint a painting um, really? because artists consider that the good stuff because of the way it, it impacts, you know, on their brain. Yeah. So, but it's, but are artists, as an artist, would you be, would you know to not to be careful with it or is there a safe way to use it? I mean, it just, <laughs> there really isn't. And, um, and most artists do know to be careful with it, but they, they don't know how careful they need to be in a lot yeah, of artists. I, I mean, the biggest thing that people do, and this is, um, there was an article about, I guess, Rembrandt and uh, maybe also Van Gogh and also others, but, you know, they'll dip, they'll, they'll clean their brush with water, but then they'll lick the brush to make the point <gasps> fine. And then they'll dip it in the paint. No. So you have microscopic lead residue on your brush mm -hmm. and you put the brush in your mouth to, to tip the brush off so you can paint a fine point. And then, so a lot of those uh, great artists died young of acute lead poisoning. Really? Wow. Yeah. So in the, in the film, you were asking, are you having this conversation about what companies are making this paint are responsible for this? And all the labels popped up. And the one that caught my eye was DuPont because DuPont is the one that later on made Teflon, right? It is the yeah. big source of the, the PFAs in our cookware. And it's just, it's, did they not learn? Do they not care? All of the above. It's, it's really a moral failure and, it, and it's, it's upsetting. <laughs> 
Yes, it is. And, and, you know, it's like, ugh, it's, it's very frustrating. How, can you tell me how old you are? I don't, you have, you don't have sure, to. Sure. I'm 38. 38. Okay. So I'm 16 years older than you. So, you know, you'd think in the, in the time between me being grown up and you being grown up, something would have changed. And then you also would have think, would have thought, yeah. you know, from the time I was a baby, from, from when I was a toddler, from when I was like eight years old, when lead paint was outlawed, that something would have happened. And what we have here is the continual generational poisoning. And so it's like, what can we do in our position um, with the audiences that we have listening to this message to help people understand the pervasiveness of the issue and also to improve our outcome for the future? So that's why yeah. I try and focus on the things that you can do yourself that will make a difference in your life because hopefully your child or your grandchildren or you know eventual other offspring will have a better outcome than we had. Like, you know, are my health impacts going are, to what degree were my health impacts caused by my lead exposure and other toxic exposure? Probably significantly. I mean, I have a thyroid that's out of whack, so I have no met metabolism, so I'm overweight. And, you know, all of that can be linked to toxic exposure. Um, and so if we can make it better for each generation, then we'll have better outcomes and smarter people that will come up with better ideas for mitigating the situation. So for me, what that means is you most people are too confronted to deal with the fact that there's lead in their house. So if we can deal with the fact that there's lead in our consumer goods and make sure that we have lead-free dishes and a lead-free kitchen and a lead-free play area and lead-free toys. And unfortunately, as an environmentalist, this means not having and reusing a lot of the vintage items that otherwise one might say, well, reuse, recycle, you know, whatever. Yeah. But if you're, if you're reusing vintage wares, then you're um, potentially poisoning your kiddo. So, um, if you can start there, start in your home. And then if you really get into it, move to your child's school and make sure that they don't have any hand-me-down toys and they don't have uh, dishes with toxicants. Like I ha often have, um, I'm just looking around here, the, the little 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 uh, espresso cups are often used in, in preschools for children. Well, espresso cups are not regulated. They are they are not for children. They have a massive oversight, right? Yeah. So just make sure you're using children's items for children and, and then get yeah. the lead stuff out of your kitchen and your playroom and your child's bedroom. And then, you know, take it one step at a time to see what else you can do to make it better for your family. And for, for me, again, the main point is that that doesn't have to be expensive. In fact, these non-toxic alternatives that are being marketed as non-toxic are not non-toxic and are the expensive version. Whereas you can buy an inexpensive set of pants at Ikea. You can buy lead-free glassware at the dollar store, Walmart or Target. You can, these things that can cost a dollar or $2 each in terms of plates and dishes and bowls. And, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money to detox your kitchen and your home. And that's um, why your website is such an incredible resource. I mean, for basically anything you want, I hope everybody that's listening goes to her website. If anytime you need to buy a new kitchen item or you're worried that you need to replace something, she's got everything there. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 hard because people sometimes say, oh, it's confusing. I'm like, well, it's a database with 4,000 items. So you have to take a little time to get to know it. Yes. I do have a website menu, which is linked in my Instagram bio and is at the top of every page. And the website menu is a is ever evolving because I'm adding new things all the time. And there's quick buttons for different categories. Like there's a quick button for KitchenAid and there's a 
quick button for, I don't know, different Spode China. And there's, uh, I have categories like made in Mexico, made in Portugal. So if you, if you can't find your exact thing, look up the made in Mexico things, if it's made in Mexico, or look up the made in Japan and look for something that's similar uh, of the same era with the same colors and the same materials. And you can generally extrapolate if all of those other points are the same, if I don't have the exact item. Yeah. Um, and then I also have lots of lead-free things listed on the site. You know, um, it's funny because people are like, well, you focus on the, the poisonous things. I'm like, not really. It's just that the algorithm of Facebook and Instagram shows you the toxic <laughs> things because that, that's what everybody gets upset about. But I have a baby bottle guide that has all sorts of lead-free baby bottles that I've tested. And I have, you know, lead-free dishes that I've tested. So, you know, it's just a matter of looking for them and understanding how to search on the site. Just take yeah, a little it's, bit. it's so, so incredibly helpful. And I saw you post recently, and I've seen you talk about this before. I just want to mention it, that you, you're taking on a big risk by doing this work too. You're having to deal with lawsuits and I mean, the legal implications. Oh my God. Did you see my recent, the letter from Tuesday? Did you see <laughs> I, that? I saw one of them recently made, which one are you though? The, the pure Kiki. So, so this is a pure Kiki uh, baby bottle. This was purchased in 2018 um, and it says on it, and I don't know my glasses, so I'm like blind this whole time, but um, it says no plastic, no safety concerns, stainless steel, Pura. And then it says, you know, made safe, certified, made safe, non-toxic, right? So this was purchased in early 2018. I don't know yet if the newer ones have lead. They said they don't. So mm -hmm. then here's, I'm taking it out of the box. This is a box that came in. I just, um, hold on, give me one second. And so it's got this sleeve, right? And this particular bottle is the a common failure is that the bottom pops off. And that's a hunk of lead in the bottom of this non-toxic made safe right. certified pure Kiki baby bottle. And the problem is parents don't know that when this bottom comes off, they're exposing the child to lead. Mm -hmm. And and I've written about this again. This is a 2018 bottle. This is not a new bottle. Um, but these are made to, to grow with baby. Like that's their whole thing is that they're going to be around until your kid here, they're going to use them as a baby bottle. And then they're later, they're going to use them as a, um, yeah, you take off the top and you change it to the, whatever the sippy cup. Yeah. And, and all the tops are convertible between the different ones. And so it's really concerning that these are still in households today. And so I've been, I, I, I share about this periodically and I started sharing this again this year because I do home consultations where people pay me a consultation fee and I come to their home pretty much anywhere in the country, mostly in October, that's why I'm traveling. Um, and I found these lead contaminated baby bottles uh, from 2018 and before that were hand-me-downs uh, in, in homes today in 2023. And so I decided this year, I'm finally going to write a, um, a recall violation notice that I submitted to the CPSC demanding a recall, specifically demanding a recall of these 2018 and before bottles because they have lead and were sold as lead free and they're still in people's homes. So the company responded by threatening me and saying I had to take down all my documentation and, and that they're going to sue me if I don't. And they sent me a cease and desist letter. So I responded with, oh, thank you for letting me know. You know, I don't know. I responded in my own snarky little way. Um, and, and I haven't heard back from them. Who knows? They might sue me, but they can't sue me because everything I've said is factual, science-based, replicable. And, you know, this is the actual package that I bought this thing in and it says it's non-toxic and it's is not. It, is it basically empty threats or have you had any companies try to like go through with it and you've had to have a lawyer and get, has it ever gotten that far? Or do they well, realize? I have 10 lawyers. Wow. Yes. 
I have 10 lawyers um, and, and I used to have a nonprofit and um, I don't know, we don't know all the origins, but at one point someone made an anonymous complaint. I, I did this event with Bernie Sanders in Flint and uh, he said it was his favorite event of the campaign trail. It was all my idea. It was amazing. We showed the film. We we had 500 people come out in a snowstorm and it was really cool. And then I opened for Aaron Brockovich, which was really cool in Portland. And within a month of all that, someone had made an anonymous complaint alleging financial fraud with the nonprofit I founded. I was audited by the IRS. I was illegally arrested for crimes I didn't commit that were disproven by the IRS audit. And I am now suing the state of Oregon in federal court for multiple counts of civil rights violations for destroying my nonprofit, trying to destroy my reputation as an activist, and all the trauma that was uh, caused and the costs of, of, of these of fraudulent legal actions against me. And we don't know who made the complaint. It was an anonymous complaint. And we don't know why the person with the Oregon Department of Justice decided to run with it like a mad dog, even though yeah. they're trying to be disproven and not true. So when you say, have I ever been to court? Well, yeah. you know, I was arrested. So uh, that counts. I don't know. But the thing is, that wasn't about a specific product. That was just a general complaint, fraudulent complaint about my work. And so this this whole thing with Pure Kiki, it's a they're they're a, they're alleging that my my work is fraudulent, but it's not. So I'm I'm innocent of all these bull, uh, you know, BS, you know, um, allegations. Whether or not it's a product like like Extrema. Um, you know, they, yes, have that one is so, so controversial. That was such a big, I mean, I just saw it at least on Instagram. It was, which is where I spend most of my, my time, uh, researching this stuff and talking to people. Um, but yeah, what's the, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. So like Extrema, they, they were one of the, like, okay, who threatened to sue me? Marble King threatened to sue me because I found lead in their lead-free marbles. Extrema threatened to sue me. They're lead-free marbles. <laughs> yeah, right. Extrema threatened to sue me because I found 14 medals and their medals free pounds. Um, Green Sprouts threatened to sue me because I found lead paint on their baby bottles. Um, da, 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 da. And I can't remember uh, off the top of my head, but there's been a lot. There's been a lot. There's of been success. a lot. So you've had to deal with a lot to get to, to do this work to try to help people. Yeah. And so the funny thing about Extrema is that we made progress because what happened was they were selling these pots and pans and they said they were metals free and they called it pure ceramic. And number one, there is no such thing as pure ceramic and there is no such thing as metals free ceramic. And they have a coating, a black, a black glaze that is a metals based coating that has positive for 10 separate metals. So they're not metals free. And then I also found in their previous products uh, up to a couple of years ago, high levels of lead and cadmium, both in the logo and in the red uh, tops that they had. And there was lead in the food surface at safe levels by all standards. However, they weren't metals free. So the issue with Extrema was that they were guilty of false advertising, especially because there was high levels of lead in the bottom of some of their pans and the logo markings and high levels of cadmium in the red lids that they were selling, which they stopped selling. So then what well, they that's did- that's progress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They stopped selling those items. They redid the logo on the bottom. So in most cases, or some of the recent ones I tested, they don't have as much lead as they used to have. And they removed all the metals-free language from their website. But what mm -hmm. they didn't do was they didn't try and make any repercussions to all of the customers, tens of thousands of people who bought their products prior to that, assuming that they were metals-free. And so basically they're guilty of false advertising and not addressing the concern, even though now they've addressed the concern in product changes and changes to their language. But they would never say, oh, thank you, Tamara 
camera for bringing this to our attention. We changed the language on our right. website. We changed the product formulation and, and we're not, we're being cautious. Now they say we have no extractable metals, which is true. That's what the, that's, that's what they should no be saying. No extractable. What does that even mean? Does that mean it can't leach or does that just mean you couldn't get metal from it? That means it doesn't leach at the time of manufacture, which is the FDA compliance. And are any of the metals, the ones you're concerned about, like cadmium or antimony or those, you found yeah. some of those? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I can pull it up on my website. You know, the other one that I got so many questions about was the Stanley. Cause that was such a trendy thing. Everybody has a Stanley, you know? Well, and that's really annoying. The other thing is the thing with those really super offensive is that the owner of the company Extrema is very religious. And if you go to my original article, there's 140 comments more than on that article. Wow. And most of them are like, I'm a God fearing man. I believe in God and I would never do this to my customers. I'm like, okay, don't, don't, don't F with religion that way. The fact of the matter is you did this to your customers and don't say, well, you're religious and pious so that you wouldn't do this because it's total BS. And wow. it's very, very frustrating. So um, yes. so I po I posted, this is an old post um, from 2018, Core Extrema Metals-Free Saucepan, positive for lead, cadmium, cobalt, iron, nickel, chromium, and other metals. So um, it was all those metals and the lead was low. The chromium was 12,900. The nickel was 2,400 parts per million. The iron, 19,100. Not unusual to find iron in ceramics, but it's still not metals free. It's not now metals free. Yeah, it's it's a false claim. But the interesting thing too, it was, you know, you were saying with stainless steel, the more you use it, the, the nickel goes away. But is this the opposite? So they're not leaching in the beginning, but we have the risk the more you use it? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so it's worse. And then, and then here's the thing. I don't mean to complain about readers. I'm not complaining about readers, but I'm complaining about society in general. We yeah. have, especially young women who have children and other young, young men who have children, parents who are like fried from information overload, no sleep and watching children 24 seven or whatever they're doing. They're not reading with a level of rigor that needs to be applied when learning something new about science. Um, so in my Stanley article, I actually decided to take the ads off of it. So because people weren't reading it and they, I had said that the Stanley is as good as most uh, bottles because most bottles have lead <laughs> and people are like, well, you said it was lead free. And I'm like, I did not say that the Stanley was lead free. As a matter of fact, my opening sentence about the Stanley was that it tested positive for traces of cadmium and traces of, I'm, I'm reading it right now. Hold on. I'm squinting because low levels of mercury that need to be tested uh, with follow-up testing and some antimony in the silicone. So I like my opening sentence, section one, first impression says there may be cadmium, antimony, and mercury in this product. And then later on, I go on to say it's as good a choice as any because of X, Y, Z. But then I go on to say, and I expect it has lead and I'm going to do some further testing. And then I updated the post because I did some further testing. And in red at the top of the post, it says update. It has been confirmed that these are sealed with lead. Same as the pure Kiki, Kiki baby bottles. It's a lead the bottom. Okay. Um, and uh, see related videos on our Instagram channel. And then people got mad at me because they're like, I thought you said it was as good a choice as any. I'm like, in the context of the fact that all water bottles are lead contaminated, yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's a question of whether or not the bottom cap falls off. And I always, and I, I concluded, sorry, I'm getting a bit loud and animated here. Because no, I it's get, fine. <laughs> I, um, but I said, I concluded by saying, if you want to, 
a, a known lead-free choice. Even for just an ethical and environmental re reasons, hydroflask or life factory are consistently lead-free. And that's the concluding sentence of my article. So, you know, it was very frustrating to me because people were like, you didn't read, I, I, the people were like, I thought you said it was lead-free. I'm like, no, I didn't say it was lead-free. In fact, I said, I thought it had lead. And the, the fact of the matter is too, that the lead is not contacting the contents of the bottle. Just like with this Pirakiki thing, the lead is on the outside and is only bioavailable and available to the consumer if the product fails and the bottom cam comes off. And after I initially wrote that post about the Stanley Quencher, I got contacted by dozens of readers who informed me that their bottom seal, the disc on the bottom in the center had popped off and there was lead underneath. And then I- Really? So that is actually happening. Cause I was going to say, you know, a lot of this is people have to read it and apply it to what they have. Is this theirs falling off? Do they want to buy a new one? Like all these different factors, but I didn't realize the bottoms were actually popping off on that one. In, in the, in the Stanley- um, it's a different type of construction and the article discusses it's a little it's a little disc. So there's a couple ways like some people just put a sticker over the dot. Some people a little put a metal disc over the dot. Some people put a bottom cap over the dot. Some uh, these different companies, some put a silicone like a rubberized bottom on it. Yeah, and I see that. all of those are to cover up the lead, except okay. the hydroflask, which has lead free bottles. And they have because I called them out for having lead back in 2011. Really? So, and they changed. And they changed. Yeah. Awesome. And they I love that. They didn't give me any credit, but whatever. They did. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then um, and then it, the interesting thing with Hydroflask is they had a leaded ceiling dot. I emailed them. They were an Oregon-based company and I contacted them. And then they said, Oh, we replaced the lead. And I tested the, the new product. I'm like, nope, your products still have lead. It's less lead, but they still have lead. And they're like, no, it doesn't. I'm like, yes, it does. Look here, science. Mm -hmm. And then they went and reformulated that. And they finally are lead-free as of 2017. So if you have a pre-2017 Hydroflask, it can have lead. Um, and then the other one, I've only tested one. But it's really rare for a mass manufactured item to not be consistent across a brand. So the I Awala, see. I tested one Awala bottle and that was also lead free. Um, but I, I've only tested one. So I don't recommend those yet because I haven't tested enough to make sure it's across all their designs. Right. And Life Factory, did you say Life Factory or those yeah. are glass? But the glass ones, yeah. Yeah. Glass, yeah. I, I recommend the Life Factory. I, I prefer Life. I don't like uh, the, and again, <laughs> ah, so many Please. topics. So, so the problem with the hydroflask, I'm uh, not sorry, the hydroflask, the problem with the Stanley quencher is all of the language for the Stanley quencher says it's for water. It's a quencher, get your water dose, you know, get your amount of water. All their marketing language is about water. Well, people are using it for something other than water. People are using it for coffee. People are using it for orange juice. People are using it for electrolyte. And I'm so glad you're saying this because I think a lot of people don't know this, that you should not be putting all these other things, right? I'll let you finish, yeah. but. Yeah, because of what we talked about with pots and pans, that it's more likely to leach than nickel and chromium if you have an acidic beverage, especially if that beverage is hot and stored over time. So definitely not coffee. So coffee should never be stored in stainless steel period. Um, if you are pouring it into a stainless steel cup and you're going to drink it on the way to work, that's different than if you are storing your coffee in your stainless steel uh, quencher or whatever for eight hours or longer because you have a long work shift. You're most likely potentially getting a dose of metals like uh, chromium and nickel from your coffee because those particular um, products are not 
marketed for use with non-water beverages. And that's a liability. They're protecting themselves. Oh, that's why they're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's speculation. It's like, we really have to read the fine print and know all of the, know all of the things and also not trust the labels. It's, it's a lot. Hey, what about the silicone on the life factory bottles? Aren't they covered in silicone? Uh, the life factory do. Yeah. But it's not food contact. And you're not, it's not, I mean, I get the ones with the plastic caps. Yeah. uh, The plastic spout, which I know it has other issues, but I, but there's no silicone, um, food contact. So some of them have a food, uh, have a food contact silicone spout or a silicone straw. I don't get those. Interesting. Okay. So you'd prefer the plastic. If you had to the lesser of two evils, you would go with plastic. Yeah. And, and I take care of my things. I have them for a really long time. So it's not like I'm contributing to a lot of plastic contamination. Yeah, sure. But, but also just to be clear, the amount of cadmium found in the silicone products is considered safe by all standards. So I want to make sure people understand. So I want people to evaluate what those standards are, what that means for them. If you're using silicone for everything, you might want to reevaluate that. If you have one thing that you use that has a silicone straw, that's fine. No one's going to, you know, it's not going to kill you. Um, If you have a history of cancer in your family, you might not want to use something that has silicone that might be contaminated with cadmium. Um, It's a little bit different than like lead. You don't want lead. You don't want any kind of lead in any of your stuff, but like with silicone, I use the pouches on occasion for a to-go sandwich or for a trail mix. I I think that's fine. I wouldn't store egg salad in the, in the silicone pouches, you know, without a sandwich. Like I think using those, um, using, I wouldn't store breast milk in them, but again, that's not because of a known scientific risk. It's because of the total aggregate exposure we have to cadmium in various contamination uh, forms. And why would we want to add something to, you know, something's not well studied and people will say, well, it is well studied. Well, um, I don't know that people that there have been long-term usage studies of silicone products that might have trace cadmium in terms of the level of potential exposure we have from the variety of different sources. Like yeah, it's like some- the aggregate. It's yeah, the aggregate's not considered. Right, exactly. Yeah. And again, I, I always am clear, like the science isn't out on that one. We know cadmium causes cancer. We don't want it in our nipples, our baby bottle nipples. Why why would we? So if your baby will take a rubber nipple, great. If your baby won't take a rubber nipple and they will only take a silicone nipple, fine. Just you know, that's fine. Just maybe limit other potential sources of, of anything that might be a contaminant coming from silicone. So, you know, a nipple, the baby needs to eat. You want to feed your baby. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, right. Um, yeah, sure. And, and you'd be surprised. Like, oh, the I'm a little bit of a Luddite. Um, and I'm a funky hippie and all that stuff. My my first job out of college was backstage masseuse for the Grateful Dead. So wait, what? What? (laughs) I just want people to know that people ask me what, what's a good straw cup for a baby. And I'm like, why does your baby need a straw cup? I mean, babies learn to drink from a cup at six months. Totally with you. We never did the sippy cup, the whole thing, because I, it just didn't seem natural. I was like, why do they need that? They need to learn. I mean, they're going to spill the first time that they picked it. I mean, they were fine. And, and, Obviously, there are children with disabilities who need a straw cup. That's a different scenario. You want to make sure kid who has a disability that can't drink from a cup can drink from a cup. Fine. Sure. But I think in general, um, I, I, funny, I got all this uh, flack when I mentioned that. They're like, 
I don't know. I said, you don't need a sippy cup. They're like, well, you know, there's palate development and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, all of history didn't have these things until what, maybe 50 years ago, even, even more recently. When did we start having straw cups? I mean, I think when I was little, there was, there were plastic cups where the straw was part of the plastic cup, but it wasn't flexible or anything. I, I just think that this is a new invention and it's an overconsumption thing. And it's not something we need to, we need to consider. I think, you know, um, you know, get, get yourself a little baby cup that's made of stainless steel or glass. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think there's way too many products marketed, especially towards kids Yeah, that more than we need. This has been so interesting. I'm like fascinated by what you're doing and can't believe I find, we finally made this happen. Thank you <laughs> so much. I'm hard to get a hold of because I'm like, I'm, I'm, I work all the time and I'm, and I'm focusing on, you know, helping families whose kids have been poisoned. So that's the majority of what I do. And then also educating to help other people learn how to protect their communities. So it's kind of like, you know, I love the interviews and I appreciate you interviewing me for this. And I of love course. new populations, but it's, I'm a little hard to pin down sometimes. <laughs> no, thank you for doing it. And I'm, I'm happy that I can put a spotlight in any way, it's how, you know, help more people learn about you, learn about your work, hear what you're doing and do things to, like you said, stop the, stop the poisoning from going on to the next generation, next generation, do our small part. So yeah. thank you very, very much. Is there one, if there's one takeaway, what would that be to the audience? Well, I close the movie with get your children tested for lead. Even if you don't think you're at risk, get them tested. Okay. That way you have a baseline. If you have a baseline, when they're, I, I recommend eight months and 18 months. So before crawling and after crawling, get a baseline for your kiddo. And that way, if you think there is an exposure in the future, you can reference the baseline that you got. It'll, it'll save you a lot of anxiety. And then also test your home and test your soil if you can. Yeah. So. Great. This, that's awesome. Great takeaways. The documentary is up for free on my website. People can watch it. People should watch it. People shouldn't be afraid to watch it. A lot of people are like, I'm afraid to watch it. I'm afraid it'll upset me. But I'm like, no, it's science. You know, it's it's really heavy on the science. And if people just it is. It, yeah. Um, I mean, yes, I made it emotional because I wanted people to get the issue and, and be be drawn to it. But 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 the science is what I need you all to learn so that you can make these decisions for yourself. Um, and, and start down the rabbit hole of, of, of the science that will help support your family's health and well-being long-term. And, you know, I think we all together are trying to, to do that. Anybody who's out there educating about safer choices is trying to do that. And I think, um, anyway, the, the, the film is just one tool for that. And I encourage yeah. you. Yeah. And we do have, we do have control. There are things we can do. There are choices we can make that are better. So I, it's, I think it's empowering too, as scary as it may be, it's empowering and it's just good information. So Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much.